grab a drink. This, this is the man room. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining me in the man room. My name is Marcus Bridges. Welcome in from wherever you are listening from. Uh, we can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on YouTube. We're even on damn TikTok now. So find the man room where you are and consume it in the way you would like to consume it. I'm uh, very excited for my guest today, and I'm not going to do any more homework before I bring him on because we've got beer to drink, and we've also That's got important. snacks in the man room tonight, which is a, a first. So uh, you know him. Uh, from the wake-up call on 1120 KPNW AM here in Eugene. Uh, I know him as a former colleague of mine. Please welcome Bill London to the program. Oh, yay me. Hey, yay thanks me. for joining me, Bill. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, I appreciate that. Hey, I, you know, I am I am disappointed about one thing. What's that? You're on TikTok. Yeah, I that's, know. I, I knew people like, were going to... Ah! Ah! I knew people Marcus, were going to get on me for it. I had respect for you. Yep, it was, and it was this week too. I have it's only been two videos, but you know, I had a. I, I don't know if you ever met him, but Craig Gass, we had him on the uh, on the Donkey Show a few mm -hmm. times. Master impressionist, really funny yeah, dude. He's good. And I, I, you know, I was talking to Kirk. Actually, had Kirk on the show last week. You remember Kirk as well from uh, from the same building that we worked in. Yep. Um, Kirk is kind of the the younger, cutting edge of everything, and he told me, "Hey, man, there's a lot of organic viewership on TikTok." I'll be honest with you. I posted two one-minute clips of Craig Gass on the uh, Man Room podcast, and they both garnered more views in one day than everything else combined for the most wow. part. So I, you know, I was I, wondering if you were just going to get into K-pop or something. <laughs> I, well, that's coming. I'm sure okay. if I waste more time on it, then it probably will show up. That All right, way, Marcus in K-pop. <laughs> I don't have the hair for it anymore, Bill. As much as I <laughs> oh, wish I did. Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> So uh, we always start out the show uh, by talking about, if applicable, of course, uh, what we're drinking. And tonight, um, I gave Bill kind of a, a, you know, what do you like, what do you dislike? And I went to the store, and you know what? I really got a European feel in that cooler, Bill. You didn't want any IPAs. You didn't want any uh, pale ales. So what I picked up was a couple of Hef Weiss beers, German. Nice. I picked up a German Pilsner, which is that bottle in there. That's the Grolsch. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a fantastic beer to have with a steak. And then the other one in there is an extra pale from uh, from Block 15, uh, which is easily competes for my favorite brewery of all time. You like Block 15? I love Block 15. I, uh, th I mean, the thing is, I'm an IPA fan, so I can go down there and have eight different beers in one night and not get bored. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're totally into the IPAs. They really are. Uh, it looks like you picked out the Grolsch there. Yeah. I like it. Uh, German Pilsner. Um, you can use that Yeti right there to keep it cold That's, if you want to. All right. All right. He's going to show me how to use a glass. I like that. Thank you. Thank you for showing me that. Isn't this nice, though? Have it to be just a little bit, uh, a little bit looser feel. I mean, I love the radio studio. I love the way that things are, you know, really high and tight in there. But uh, I kind of like this whole just like it doesn't matter if there's a couple seconds of dead air, even though it makes me cringe when I walk off the mic to get a beer. Mm. Oh, I like that. Isn't that good? Oh yeah. Yeah, There's, that's that's a that's a uh Oh yeah, I'm going to have uh, just uh, a couple of these and then you wake up tomorrow morning in a pool of your own vomit. <laughs> it's true, man. Uh I first had that beer uh once again that's Grolsch in the green bottle. Um, I had that at a small restaurant up in uh, Joseph, Oregon. Actually, it's at Wallowa Lake where I grew up. 
um, is a German lady named Valley that opened a little restaurant up there. It's seasonal. You can barely get into it. And uh, that was always what my dad ordered up there. Finally got to try one when I was of age. And I'll tell you. Yeah, right. I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you, man. It's a, it's a really good, underappreciated German beer. You know, we here in the in the Pacific Northwest are a little bit spoiled when it comes to microbrews. And I think sometimes the European specialties kind of get lost on us, uh, which they really shouldn't, you know? That's really good. I mean, that's really, really good. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> good. I, like I said, I could... Yeah, I could harm myself. <laughs> well, I only brought one, so you'll be okay. There's a couple other things in there, though. I'm I'm doing this Wine Stefaner Hef Weiss beer. Uh, this comes from the world's oldest brewery uh, since 1040. Where's it at? Belgium. Or, excuse me, Bavaria. Brewed in Bavaria since 1040. That's what it says on the can. I don't know. I'll show the I'll show the people that are watching. Uh, which, by the way, this is only like the third one that's had video. So if you're watching, you're So it's you're the welcome. oldest brewery in the world, which means probably not the highest hygiene. Hmm. You know. It tastes a little sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good. Yeah. It's, a, it's I mean, it's a German Weiss beer for sure. And that's why I brought up here today. I knew we were going oh. European. So I stuck with some, uh, we've got some Axis deer, which it's funny because I think that is actually European. I think they were accidentally imported to the Hawaiian Islands from somewhere in Europe. Um, that's the Axis Deer Summer Sausage there. Where are you looking? Yeah, right there. There's your little thing. That's some spicy beer mustard and some extra sharp cheddar cheese there too. I hooked it up in the man room today. I haven't Thank done you. this much for a guest yet, so you you really have like a spread in front of you. Thank you. Yeah. Mm, yeah, the sausage is really good. I just, I kind of felt like, you know, you and I used to always have these kind of long conversations when we uh, worked at KP and when I worked for you at KPNW. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always felt like those conversations were missing uh, some good summer sausage and a, and and a good beer. Yeah. Which a lot of times they weren't actually missing beer because. No, we had. It's a radio had, studio. The beer flowed like wine. <laughs> it's very true. Time. It's very true. Are you guys still getting the hookup uh, with beer as far as you, uh, you know, doing advertising and stuff for those companies? Um. No, not like we used to. I had mentioned to you earlier that for a couple of years, um, Widmer was sponsoring the studio. And so we had this this big cooler full of beer. And it was, so Widmer was bought out by Anheuser-Busch, also known as AB. And Anheuser-Busch went out and started buying up all these little microbrews, like 10 beer, uh, 10 barrel over in, it's over in Eastern Oregon. It may it's be Bend. Bend. Yeah, it's Bend. Um, they're buying them up and and all of these others. And, you know, you guys, when you were doing the, the show on K-Fly, you guys were, you know, the bud station. And one of the things we've always done on the wake-up call is, you know, we focused on our craft breweries around here. And we were looking at, you know, doing something. It's like, well, you know, you guys have craft beer, so... Set us up with Widmer, set us up with some of the others. So we had a cooler in there that had, you know. A bunch of good stuff in it. A bunch of good stuff in it. And, yeah, yeah it was it was really awesome until it wasn't. <laughs> and Anheuser-Busch pulled a bunch of money out of the market, and that was, you know, and that was promotional money. And they just went, yeah, okay, we're not doing that anymore. It was like, eh. Now, now the cooler that they had given us sits in there, and it has, like, a carton of a dozen eggs and some Jimmy Dean sausage <laughs> that I, and I'm not lying about this, has been in there for about two years. Oh, God. <laughs> and many, many times I've thought about, 
yeah, I really ought to throw that away, but I'm afraid to open the cooler. Right. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to explode that bomb because <laughs> carpeted walls in that studio, the smell will never mm. go away. No, no. <laughs> and I'm, th- I'm thinking, well, maybe I just want to just cart the cooler and everything off and leave it on a corner and hope that, you know, somebody thinks, oh, well, this will be good in our homeless camp and cart it off and take it there. <laughs> so, you know, actually, the place to take it is down by campus. Put it next to some it looks like campus housing. Put free on it. It'll be in a frat house by next Tuesday and up and running and clean as a whistle. too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I'm sure that's totally legal to do that. <laughs> yeah, but it happens, you know, and, and we're going to get into that, too, because I have written here. Uh, some things, you know, you and I share a lot of, uh, a lot of similar views on things like, uh, like government and, uh, um, we you know, hate it. <laughs> yeah. It's very Ron Swanson view of the government. <laughs> we hate honest, it. But, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty uh, simple. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I want to talk to you about some stuff going on locally. I have to get this one out of the way first though, since we're still kind of lighthearted here. Um, And I know this sounds a little bit strange for me to ask another person, another man especially, but I want my listeners to trust me here. I have a vested interest in this. I don't know. I've never measured. But how's your prostate? (laughs) My prostate's good. Thank you. (laughs) You Do you remember why? We were close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we used to do Proctober and... Yeah, I always felt weird about going to a mall parking lot to have somebody stick their finger up my ass. Yeah. It was so weird. You're standing out there with a group of other people and in tents. They set up tents. And just to have it done in a parking lot, there was a certain surreal quality to that. It's not like you go to a doctor's office and you're leaning over the table and he does what he does. No, you're in a tent with a vinyl flap between you and 30 other guys that are sitting out there waiting to the doctor to do the same thing to them. Oh, my God. It sounds like a tailgate gone wrong. Oh, a horrible (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or one from certain parts of Amsterdam. Now, I really want you guys to understand that are listening to this right now how uncomfortable. Yes, do that for sure. But how uncomfortable it must have been for Bill to be in that setting and not mention the fact that he was doing it live on the radio with oh, yeah. us over the phone. That oh, yeah. didn't even come into the lexicon. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, it was such a, you know, everything else about it was so weird. <laughs> There's only so much surrealism that one person can just absorb in in the 30 seconds that it takes to drop trow and have some guy attack you from behind. It's like, okay. We, and we, you're listening to other people out there having conversations about their jobs, about, you know, their wife, their yard. They got to change the hot water heater. They got a new and, driver. Yeah. It's like, what? Where am I? This is not right. This oh, man. It's supposed to be a more solemn thing. Well, uh, not uh, a fair event. Uh, I'm going to do a callback here from another podcast when we were talking about uh, vasectomies. And one of my friends uh, haven't had one. He mentioned that, uh, the only thing I'm that he can advi- the only thing he can offer uh, as far as advice was concerned is don't get Doctor McShaky fingers. Have you ever had Doctor McShaky fingers for any of your prostate exams? No, that's good. No, thankfully, even in a mall parking lot. Okay, so this is a true story, and I have to I have to tell you this. You may ask yourself, how does a doctor learn practically how to do that? All right, because it's just not something you just, you know, okay, I've got my uh, sheepskin on the wall, and now I'm just going to be sticking my fingers in people's butts. (laughs) 
Yeah, so, there's, there's a there's a thing, isn't there? There's like an apparatus. No, there's real people. Oh, they that, just that are prostate uh, teaching aids. Where I swear to God, I this came up in a conversation that I had with a doctor, actually a dermatologist, and we got into this conversation. Just like. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, can, I, I could be a general practitioner. I decided that I was going to do dermatology and so on and so forth. And, and we, we were just kind of going back and forth. Real nice gal. And we're just kind of going back and forth about it. And she, it just came, I don't even remember how it came up. And she started telling me, she goes, the weirdest thing, though, was learning how to do a prostate exam. And I never, I mean, you just, it's not something you just think about. And I said, well, how do you learn that? And she said, well, they have volunteers that get paid to essentially allow you to train on them. And she said, so here's this guy. And they're, they're saying, okay, well, you know, lube up and stick your fingers in. And, and the guy is telling her, no, 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 you're not far enough in. Further in. The now, guy that's the test subject? The t- guy that's the test subject. Oh he's done, apparently, thousands of these. And he's, no, no. So, so his prostate's th- like leather? <laughs> well, he knows, apparently he knows where you're supposed to hit. It sounds like and he's too excited to be in there. Uh, it, I thought it was a little bit dodgy myself, but whatever. Uh, and she's, she's like, no, no, further in. Okay, now, curve your fingers down a little bit. Okay, there, that's it. And she was, she said, you know, honestly, she said, I, I was a little bit emotionally bruised by the whole thing. She's because I've got this just guy, just random guy who's going, no, no, further in. Okay, now curve your face. Okay, now, Please. there, there, that's, that's the, pro- there, you've got the prostate. And he's not a doctor. He's like, he works in like a factory. <laughs> no, well, yeah, and, but he's had so many people do it, uh, yeah. essentially do it that he, he knows what the right, deal to do is this guy is leaving every single test and he's calling his friends going can you believe i get paid for this, this? this is yeah, amazing this is awesome <laughs> yeah, this is awesome he's enjoying it way too much i see i thought because i've seen and this might just be because this was a this was a video from asia that i saw i, I can't comment on which country it was <laughs> from asia <laughs> yeah said, oh well there you go i don't know the difference between you, japanese I, and chinese characters i just know that their the writing was not in you know english and the the video was are you some, sure it was a medical video <laughs> yes because it was actually it was, so it was a computer screen bill and i'm not joking about this either you can look this up maybe we'll even find it and share it in the description is a computer screen and right below the computer screen was a plastic butt and then there was a spot for them to put their hand and they got feedback on the screen. Like the screen wasn't like numbers and, and you know, medical information. Right. The screen was a guy looking back at you who would. <laughs> and he, he was supposed to respond in the like, you know, in kind. If you were rough, he was going to act like you were being rough. If you weren't in far enough, I don't know, maybe he doesn't give you advice like this other guy that you just brought up. But so this is virtual medical porn is what you're saying. They're, but they're teaching people with it. I mean, I have to guess with their advancements in technology, it was China. I really do have to think that because they're very advanced technologically. So did and he have like something up his butt to know that you were doing it right? No, there was no person there. It was just, it was completely virtual. This had no no okay. human and this was just a plastic butt 
Like you could buy one of these at Castle Mega Store, okay? And and then, it, <laughs> but they had like some sensors down to the inside. prostate exam section. <laughs> They're right by the multi packs of butt plugs. Uh, oh man. I did not know we were going to get this far into it. I'm so glad that we well, did. This is the Man Room Podcast. Welcome, Bill. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Uh, see, the, the, the fact that they have dummies that you can practice on does not surprise me a bit. My father and I somewhere, I still have the catalog because I saw it and went, wow, this is amazing. Um, it, it was for, you know, when you go into a doctor's office, like you go to an optometrist and you see this model of an eyeball and you can pull it apart and look at all the different parts of it. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, they have them for knees, elbows, of, everything. Uh, ears, yeah, yeah yep. everything. This is, a, it was a catalog of that stuff. Okay. And they had literally every body part that you could imagine, either in whole or in part, that you could buy. Whether we're talking about butts, I mean, they had uh, realistic rubber testicles or whatever they're made out of so that you can, I guess, check for testicular cancer. I mean, the, I looked at it and was like, this is crazy. How, which one was the most expensive body part? Was it the balls? Uh, Lots of small parts. I want to I say, God, I'm trying to remember. Well, there was some stuff in there that was really super expensive. They had a whole human body that you could just pull apart. That seems, once again, I feel, look, I understand. That was thousands of dollars. So that here's this body, and you open up its torso cavity, and, oh, here's a heart, and you take the heart out. Oh, here's the lungs, and work your way down that was thousands i understand I the, like i i understand the medical practicality a hundred percent i also it refused to believe that there's not the next hannibal lecter out there oh, picking yeah, one of these bodies like, apart oh right? it's a study guide <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Ooh. next time i'm going for the bladder yeah there you go well uh hey man there's lots of money in medical science and it doesn't only come from being the person at the end of the scalpel or the person with the beaker in their hand yeah. like you could just make beakers and then mm -hmm. sell them and there's a lot of people that buy a lot of beakers so or, or fake body parts there you go you could literally be a high school I mean, like prop like you're you're a prop artist in high school you're dreaming about the big screen la is dying it's going to fall into mm -hmm. the ocean by 2025 don't go there make medical body parts and make mm -hmm. bank and then nobody can ever judge your yeah. work like an asshole. Yeah. No, no, it's totally a niche thing, but somebody's making boku money off of it. Yeah. Or you could make sex dolls. Those are a thing too. And they're really too real for me to be comfortable with. Did you ever see the special? It was on BBC. I think it was called living doll. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, that's where I got like most oh, of my okay. experience with it. Oh, except for the other. Um, well, we do. You remember the okay? Do you remember the one guy in that? And uh, watching that, I don't know what your feelings were. I'm watching this. I'm I'm sort of like, okay, this is just kind of creepy. Uh, okay, these people are just not quite right. The one guy that lived by himself in the middle of nowhere that had the long hair, and you looked at it and went, "Oh my god, that guy is serial killer." material that one guy and it's like thank god he has one of those because that's probably saved lives oh yeah 
Yeah, but I think it runs the gamut from that as the most extreme on one side all the way to the other side of maybe the friendliest, softest, gentlest person that you'll ever meet, but still extremely mentally conflicted. It's, the, the, <laughs> it was the guy that, that had one, and he looked completely normal. He acted completely normal, and then he had the girlfriend, and then he introduced the girlfriend to the doll, and yep. then I think like three months later she left him right. or something. Probably sooner than that. Yeah. <laughs> And that guy, it's like, oh, he seems normal. No, he's no, not normal. No, as much as I'd like to say, I, and, and look, look, if if that's something that you want to do, you know, you have a sex doll, you do your thing with it, whatever, that's fine. But the whole transfer, or like, uh, um, transposing that into like, I'm going to date this thing. I'm going to treat it like it's a human being. And it's, take it on trips. Yeah, it's really weird. And don't think that the people that are watching you when you take it to Austria to go on hikes aren't looking at you strange when you drag it along a dirt trail on a red rider rag wagon, you know, it's yeah, come on. It's, come on. Is that beautiful? We're Isn't that beautiful. We're trying to be as inclusive as we can. See, and this, when we do that, this is, what this is, yeah. You know, that picture that you brought in my, in, in my head, when you talk about pulling it around in a wagon, one of the weirdest experiences I ever had early, early on in radio was broadcasting live every day from the Oregon State Fair. Oh, God. I mean, the whole the whole show. I mean, music, everything on site. This is before, you know, hard drive and crap. And this lady, Saturday morning, comes walking up and she's pulling this wagon and it has a blanket over it. And she comes trundling up and we're right over there by where they had the, the sturgeon. It used to be the big sturgeon they had. And we're right right by that. Happiest so, fish in the world, that right. sturgeon. And Never moved. She wanders up and she's talking to me and and I'm trying to be, you know, Mr. PR. And like, hi, how are you doing? And she's seems real off. And I'm like, hi, how are you doing? Uh, so what are you doing? She goes, Oh, I'm just here with my friends. And I'm looking around, and this is the gates had just opened. And I'm looking around and it's, it's like, oh, are you're friends around here oh yeah they're in the wagon i'm looking at this wagon and like i'm thinking oh maybe she has farm animals or something that she's taking to the livestock exhibit I'm like oh your friends are in the wagon she says yes yeah. so she what turns around walks over to the wagon i still can't really see what's in it because she's blocking it and she was not small and she turns around and she has four doll heads on her fingers and she's like, these are my friends. Oh, my God. And she starts talking to them and doing like, hey, yeah, I'm so happy. I can't wait to go on the zipper. Hi, how are you? Uh, uh, oh, busy. <laughs> I need to do something else now. Thanks for stopping by. Nice meeting you. Bye. <laughs> I'm going to turn around in this little tiny outhouse-sized kiosk with a window in it and pretend like I'm doing something <laughs> so I don't have to talk to you. So, so God. What, what is it about? And I look, there's a lot of Donkey Show fans, a lot of fans from my days in the radio that listen to this show, and I appreciate you all. I don't think that I'm talking about you. When I ask Bill, why is it? that radio is so adept at attracting crazy people. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. You could be at a one half hour remote at a dairy mart. Mm -hmm. You could be at the state fair, which is actually probably, you're kind of sticking your neck out there at the state fair, but it, literally Way anywhere out. else, Way anywhere out. where you are broadcasting live, it's you're like- You're gonna get a nut job. It's like they say, you know, meth, meth heads 
kind of gravitate towards authority because they, you know, they want to, they're, they're thinking they're helping and they're kind of lost in their own thoughts. So they go towards cops. That's the same thing when there's a radio mic on and a crazy person around. They find a way. It's like the frequencies run through their head and they just gravitate towards the mic. Mm -hmm. You've been in radio how long? Oh, God. 1982. So 39 years. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. But in 39 (sighs) years, there's no shortage of crazy people at live events that you can count. No. I... Is it the microphone? It's odd. I had this conversation with, I'm trying to, I can't even remember who it was with, not all that long ago. And it was somebody who was not in radio and they were asking about, you know, well, what what are kind of things about what you do that are completely different from, you know, normal people's jobs? And one of the things that came to mind is every radio station Every single one has a person with severe mental disabilities that is a rabid fan that will call every day. Multiple times sometimes. Multiple times. Yeah. Now, you remember the guy that that um, that ended up on Stern and was a Howard Stern show and was a regular that lived here locally. Yeah, we had him on all the time. Yeah. And, and this is not appropriate anymore. And we know that when I say his name is Gary the Retard, he now okay. is Gary the Superhero, I believe. I knew Gary long before he was ever on the Stern show because he lived in Albany. And he called every flipping radio station that he could hear. And the way that he even ended up on the Howard Stern show, do you know the story? I, I don't think that up? I do. I think that I, I heard it back when we were doing the show and he would come on all the time. Essentially, um, when they were, you know, when radio stopped being local and everybody was picking up national shows, I think it was uh, KUFO out of Portland, 101. Yeah. Um, they picked up the Stern show. And the guy that used to do mornings there was no longer there. And they just had a guy board opping, which just means he just moves levers up and down and plays commercials when they call for him from the network. And so Gary calls up one morning, you know, to talk to the guy that he used to talk to that worked there. And the guy said, yeah, uh, you know what? Here, call this number. And he gave him Stern's number. Oh, and that's brilliant. how that's how Gary ended up on and every radio station, we've got this guy now that calls on KPNW almost every day. His name's Daryl. And Daryl is just, he sounds like he's drunk. And he, I, I don't know exactly what his issue really is, but he does. He sounds very much, first time I ever, he ever called us, I thought, God, this guy is like, drinking really Hammer. early yeah because he calls in at 605 and says, hi this is daryl like whoa this guy's on a bender of a bender he calls in every day and he, he claims to have knowledge about essentially everything i don't think that he necessarily has what i would call you know severe mental disabilities but he's definitely weird and has delusions of grandeur every station has one they do, and they yeah. call every day. Why? I don't know. Does television have that? Not that I'm aware of, but I mean, I, I don't know. I've only, my only experience with television is 
I, I dated a, a girl that worked for KVAL for a little bit, and she never talked like that. But the, the thing is, is they also, they have that buffer because it's not the desk people that are going to deal with those people. It's the, it's the field reporters that are going to deal with those people. And those poor field reporters, they never get to speak their mind about anything. It's just like, no. grab your camera, go out there. Sorry, I forgot to tell you, we fired the guy that used to drive you around and edit this. You're, right. uh, you're doing it all now, you yeah. know? So, but I'm sure any place that there's a local number that can be called, they call, they call. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, look, some of it is absolutely great. I will not say that it's a bad thing. I love the, just the pure and simple fact that there's somebody that cares enough to call every day out there and whoever it is, is great. We're not disparaging this at all. No, I I mean, we talked to Daryl, treated the guy with respect. I mean, my first radio gig, we had this guy named Freddie Acosta that would always call. And he's like, hello, my friend, this is Freddie. Would you play... Sam and Cheryl, woo woo for it. Uh, okay, Freddie. Okay, man. All right. How you doing? And he would show up at events, and he would always have his hat pulled down. Basically, you couldn't even see his eyes. He had it pulled down almost all the way over his nose. And he would come out. I was always nice to him. It's, I think part of it is, and maybe this is the thing. I mean, some people feel like this about radio in particular, um, that the people that are on there are their friends. Yeah. That and and particularly they just feel like they know you. They're your friends and I think that's just an extension of it. Sure. They they really believe that you this is my personal friend and so they call up to talk to their friend. Right. And, and that's okay. I think that's actually the mark of a good of a good radio personality is to be able to break through that uh this guy is in a is a different person than me and than all the rest of us. This person, you know, I feel like I'm part of the conversation. Accessible. I feel like they're accessible exactly and so, you know, it's but Look, we're in like a spot right now, and I think we don't know it. I've been saying this for a while now, but radio as we know it is changing right now. Oh, and, it changed a long time ago. And it's, it, it, but Sorry. that no, it's okay. And that's, I want to get your thoughts on it because, oh, yeah, I you got know, thoughts. I bet you do. And, and I don't know how it went for you last year during the initial COVID and everything. I'm sure knowing <laughs> your job, you were probably just about the only person in the studio each day. Maybe you and your co host mm-hmm. was your co host, was Rob coming on from home or was he coming into the studio? No, he was coming. So you guys probably were, I mean, I know it was a skeleton crew because I talked to you, Mm -hmm. but that's every single radio personality that I know from news to entertainment to sports. This COVID thing swiped all the salespeople out of the building, all the executives out of the building, all the programmers out of the building and left the talent there to uh, sink or swim, essentially, because mm-hmm. there's look, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind. You know, there's a hundred and fifty thousand watt radio tower out there that's got to operate. Yeah. Bill knows how to take care of that shit, but nobody else in that building does, aside from the guy that they sent home. Yeah, in March. sometimes I don't even think the engineer knows how to deal with that <laughs> shit. So, Since you put it that way so succinctly. Yeah, so what is it that you think, like, is this, because I know a bunch of people, too. I know a guy uh, named B-Dub who does country radio. He just built out an entire studio in his house on the station's what? tab because he's just syndicating from his home now. A lot of people did that. Is is that where radio's going now that it's that easy to do? Oh, I think that's almost anymore. I'm beginning to think that's kind of a one-off. Um no, I'll tell you where it's going. You know, this this plays out to the early parts of deregulation. And we're going to, I mean, this is so inside baseball. I'm such a radio nerd, you guys. All right. So for folks that are listening and you don't know, it used to be a long, long time ago. (laughs) It used to be you could only, that a a group could only own like two or three radio stations total. And 
that started to change under the Reagan administration, where you could own, you know, more than two or three radio stations, where you could own five or six. And then under the Clinton administration, they were just like, okay, you can own several radio stations in any market you want to own them in. This is the dumbed down version. And then that opened up a little bit more. And it was these big companies started buying up radio stations everywhere to where you had, at one point, I think it was Clear Channel, which became such a poisoned brand that they changed it to iHeart because it's so nice now. It's so warm and it's iHeart. Oh, yeah. it's so, so warm and fuzzy. We worked for uh, Clear Channel when one day we went to work and they said, Clear Channel just sold off all uh, markets under the top 100. And uh-huh. everybody went, hey, what, what number's Eugene? Uh, yeah, you're uh, well <laughs> under 200. <laughs> yeah. You're up for sale. Have a nice day. And, you know, what they were doing was they were public and they were driving their market price through acquisition. And they finally got to a point where they couldn't own any more radio stations because there were no more radio stations to buy. So then to make money, it was because they should have been making it selling advertising. Um, You're still not making enough advertising. So then it was, oh, well, we need to cut overhead way back in. 2001, um, I was on a conference call with other program directors from Clear Channel all over the country. And Randy Michaels, who was in charge of programming for, uh, I can't think it was 1,200, radio stations at the time, said what the plan was going to be. Hub and spoke. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a hub in, I'll just give the Northwest as an example. We're going to have a hub in Seattle The talent will be in Seattle. They will voice track, send stuff to the stations in Portland and Eugene and Bend and Boise and so on and so forth so that you would have basically a building with maybe 10 or 15 people that are the live local talent all over the Pacific Northwest. Well, guess what? That's what it is. That's what it has become, and that's pretty much what it is now with these big, big companies. And you essentially just have a few people in a building that are keeping the local stations on the air and the talent is 500 miles away, 1,000 miles away. Do you feel like that really waters down the local experience for a city the size of Eugene? uh, You know what? Okay. So... Everybody talks about podcasts. And, you know, I mean, you're doing one. Yeah, everybody, everybody is. Every, everybody, literally. yeah. Any, anybody that can buy a microphone is doing a podcast. Why are people listening to podcasts? Because podcasts are providing content. And they're providing original content. Content that radio stations used to offer. But don't and in no. some cases have disallowed uh, yes oh for god's sakes you couldn't I mean, get away with anything really, these days i mean i'll be honest i listen to a music station and you know the guy comes on okay well that was you know taylor swift and coming up it's going to be you know whoever 
the hot country guy is of the day. This is Taylor Swift, and coming up, it's going to be such and such, and then it's going to be such and such right here on wherever. Well, you don't need to hire a local person to do that. Right. Any idiot can do that. But to create local content, you can't do that from Seattle. You're not going to have a guy from Seattle that's going to be talking about, you know, Emily Semple on the Eugene City Council and how she believes that we start need to start using birth control for rats to control the rat problem in the Wit and uh, North Eugene, and that everybody should have uh, should be given free rat traps and they should put out collection barrels for the dead rats. No shit. Yeah. If we want to uh, control yeah. the rats, maybe yeah. we shouldn't be a sanctuary city. I'm just saying. And, and well, but what I'm saying is, is you know, I, I mean, you're not going to get that from your jock in Seattle that is voice tracking on your cumulus stations right. here locally. No, I get you. And I think that radio has essentially shot itself in the balls and has been for a long time. What they've done is... Uh, no, but why listen to local radio? If you want to hear the same 150 songs over ad nauseum, you can do that on Spotify. You don't need to listen to a local radio station to do that. That's going to, when you're in your car, it's going to break up. You can do it on Spotify. But people that want to have content, that want to hear something interesting, that want somebody to tell them a story, whether it's a comedian or they want to hear something true crime or they want to listen to, if you're listening to Shit Town. No, I have. No, oh, yes, yes, I have. Shit Town, yes. Uh, um, you know, That's they such want, a good one. Uh, you know, or I like Freakonomics. Yep. Um, Vanished is a good one. I mean, Vanished is good. Radio Lab, any of those. They're going to podcast for content. It's what radio used to do. Hello. <laughs> yep. Hello. What's happening to radio? Radio killed itself. It stopped doing content. Content. Yeah. That makes sense, huh. man. And and you know, you're you're one of the fortunate ones that still gets to produce content because you cover the news and you do a phenomenal job covering locally. You've always worked very hard at that. And I but I do kind of feel like as I look at that radio studio pulled back just five, six short years after I was done working there, you're one of the few people left that it has anything to do with what I would call content. The rest of it is, you know, it's it's just... I don't, I don't want to... Okay, I don't want to bag on my fellow co-workers. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> not, not to disparage any of them. There's a billion people in that you building know, that I really enjoy as people and I think are very talented people. However, I listened to what they were doing when I was there and I had no effect on this, but I, no. time period-wise, I listened to what they were doing when I was there and I listen to it now and I see two completely different products and you can tell that there's a lot of top-down pressure on the one that goes on now and a lot of uh there was a lot of stifled creativity if you will i and when we say that you know i get scolded for talking about the donkey show a lot on the show but it, once again it's part of my life so i'm going to use it yeah, to relate to this we yeah. would never six short years ago we would never get away with i don't even think they would have let us do a prostate exam on the air right now no goddamn way and that i could do it that was considered tame 
for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a very okay. tame thing. Okay, can I tell my favorite Donkey Show story? Of course, except I, for I have to tell you before, you were wondering where my other experience with, with the sex dolls came from earlier in the program. Did you have to do one for the Donkey Show? No, we tied one to a bunch of helium balloons and, and floated her out. It was the Fatty Patty sex doll, and we sent her up in the air, and she got caught in the power lines between here and Junction City. That was my, <laughs> that was my other experience. Okay. Anyway, your favorite story, please okay, do. Okay, and this story, by the way, so I have an uncle, um, my only surviving uncle, and he is 87 years old. And I told him this story, and I thought he was going to crap himself. <laughs> so people, are, and this gives you an insight into radio, too, for folks that have never like experienced that environment, which is way different than most offices. <laughs> um. So we're having a management meeting. Now, at the stations there, the management meeting was the general manager. He's the guy that oversees everybody. The sales manager who oversees all the people that go out and sell commercials. Two of our biggest fans. Yeah. The the traffic uh, manager. And when you say traffic in, in radio, it's not people who are like, oh, there's a wreck on the belt line. They're the ones that actually schedule commercials and do the billing as they, they add traffic. Yeah. Um, and you have the program directors for each radio station. So I'm in there. Carl was the PD for, for, uh, K-Fly at the time, Val for K-Duck, um, and Barry for KODZ. You've got the production manager. He's the guy that makes sure that all the commercials gets on the air. So you have all these people sitting in there and they're all, you know, we kind of go around the table, round table discussion. And, talking about what's going on with her station and challenges they may have or promotions they have coming up, et cetera. So you get to Carl and <laughs> poor Carl, Carl, you know, I mean, he, they, they were doing some, you know, ticket giveaway and a couple of other things. And he was looking forward to the next book and, and what they were going to do. And the general manager whom I won't mention by name, who had a bit of a drinking problem, um, was so I thought we had a and and Carl I mean it just broadsided Carl now mind you I'm just sitting there just watching and listening to this now this is a manager's meeting right not a not a one-on-one with Carl and no, the GM as no. this probably should have been and this is a management so you know you conjure up your own versions of your workplace of what management meetings are like <laughs> he looks at Carl and he goes Carl uh, I thought that we were pretty clear on the idea that before any stunts were going to be happening on the donkey show, that they were not only supposed to go through you, but they were supposed to go through me. And now my ears are perking up because I'm like, obviously something didn't go through him. And I look over at Carl and Carl is shrinking. I mean, he's, he's like starting to slide down physically in his chair. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is just not going to be good. And Carl is my friend. And Carl, you'd have to know Carl. Carl is kind of my soul brother because he's like I am. He's He can be just volatile as, and just pissy as hell. And... 
It's like, so he and I, and even though I'm older, it's kind of, I looked at him and went, oh, young me. Okay. <laughs> and Carl's starting to shrink and, and uh, yeah, yeah, we did have that agreement. So what the hell was that crap yesterday going on on the donkey show? I don't recall that going through me. Now my curiosity is really peaked. Because you want to know what we did. I want to know. <laughs> and Carl's like, well, um, you know, they did go through. Uh, they, they, they told me. Well, why didn't you say something to me, God damn it? Well, I just, I, I, I thought that, you know, um, it, it would be under control. Bullshit. You are supposed to come to me and tell me any time that they are doing a goddamn stunt. At this point, I mean, Carl is way shrunk. Everybody is sort of like staring off like they're not in the room. And Bill's not overselling and, this either because this man that he's talking about that he refused to mention by name has a penchant for doing this. He's, right. He will shout you down in a room full of people right. in a heartbeat. Now, my first natural inclination is, what the fuck did they do? So I just I, I just go, excuse me. I said, I, you know, just to, for clarification, can somebody please explain what it is that we're actually talking about here? Since we're all in the room, can somebody please tell me? And Carl looks over at me with a look that was like, why did you ask? <laughs> Carl looks at me and goes, well... <clears throat> Um, we have this guy that's uh, on the show. He's from a local band, and and uh, he came in and and asked us if we wanted to show if we wanted to see him do a trick. Well, can you be more specific what the trick is? <laughs> um, well, he asked us if uh, we wanted to see him set his dick on fire. <laughs> and. Again, everybody else looking off like, I'm not here. I'm not hearing this. I'm barely able to keep from just busting a gut. And I'm just like, oh, okay. That old thing. And, and, oh, okay. Then Larry starts up. Oops. It's all right. And, we'll then, and then he, he's like, you could have set the goddamn studio on fire. And I put my hand up to kind of stop him because now I'm feeling for Carl because I'm seeing what's going on here. And I'm like, well, Carl, did, I mean, did you have any way that, you know, you were going to keep that from getting out of control? Well, yeah, we, we, um, you know, we had a plan in place in case, you know, fire got out of control. We had a couple of fucking soda cups. Okay. Okay. Yes. And and this is what Carl says. Yeah. We're, 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 we were going to pour beer on it. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. Uh, and, and Carl's like, well, he was, he was standing over a garbage can and we, we were, we were, we were going to pour, pour beer on him. If, if it's any, it's like, well, how does he set it? And I'm like, now it's like, okay, how does this work? How do you set it on fire? And he's like, well, you know, he poured Everclear. I think it yeah, was Everclear. No, he had a jar. He had a mason jar of, of Everclear that yeah, he would pack he goes, around. Well, he, he, would, he wouldn't pour, he would dip. Yeah. Oh, that's better. why he had the mason jars. And, and you don't drink well, out of that he, one. You know, put put uh, Everclear and then set fire to it. Larry, you're going to add an explosion there. Oh, you're going to put it out with fucking beer? <laughs> what the hell? 
what is wrong with you know god damn it you know he goes this is bullshit i'm writing them up i'm writing you up and carl is sitting there and at this point i'm i get to my point where i'm fed up with him beating up on on carl and i look over at him going can i say something here because i'm a manager this is a management meeting I want to have. I want to give my management input. What? And I said, okay. I said, I'm imagining that I'm sitting on my station, a conservative talk station, and I'm doing my show in the morning, and somebody comes in and says, "You want to see me set my dick on fire?" <laughs> I am saying, "Fuck yeah." That's all right, Bill. Absolutely do it. I said, I don't give a shit whether you like it or not. If somebody says they're going to come on my show and they're going to set their junk on fire, I'm going, damn straight. Absolutely. Get some beer in case he can't Absolutely. Oh, no, it's that time of the morning. I'm throwing coffee on it. (laughs) I said, I'm saying, yeah. I said, who wouldn't? And he just and, and he just sat there. The GM just sat there and gave me, stared at me. And, and I said, I'm telling you the truth. I said, any of these other people in this room don't have the balls to tell you they would do the same thing. I am. I don't blame them for doing it. I would do the same thing. Leave Carl alone. <laughs> You're a godsend, Bill. You know that? Carl probably was just thanking you silently sitting there right then and there. Oh, because- he didn't say a word, and I didn't blame him. I know what it's like to be on that end. Right. And it was just, but the thing was, I wasn't just defending Carl. I was telling the truth. Yeah. I would. <laughs> you walk in and say, hey, you want to see me, uh, you want to see me set my Mr. Johnson on fire? Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. Please. Uh, please do. And, uh, guys, this was the atheists, as you may remember. That's from, right, uh, the atheists, the that drum head right over there on the wall is signed by the atheist there. Uh, it says words like party and don't, won't, and can't aren't real words. You know, the atheist, they had a hollowed out U-Haul that they used to go around and do drive-by metal shows with. We sent them to the Eugene Library they, one time. It was like, yeah, it was like Caribbean jump-ups. They would just show up and start playing. <laughs> they were great. And you know what? That yeah, was a great day. God bless you because that was the ultimate management meeting. You think you have weird management meetings. Sit in a management meeting where they're arguing about and screaming about somebody setting their balls on fire. I guarantee you that doesn't happen at at CBT Nuggets or Pape. I guarantee you. And let me tell you something. It will spice up your boring office job. If you can find some people that get into that type of shit uh, at your place of work your management meetings will never be the same. I, I know that uh-uh. that's that's your favorite story, but I'm sure that wasn't the only time that you sat through a meeting that was not designed to talk about exactly what it was that we were in trouble for on said week. But, uh, you know... I it, think there was another one, too, where they were pissed off because you guys were smoking dreadlocks out of a bong. Uh, it wasn't dreadlocks, but it was it was body hair. Oh, wait, that's not true. So after... See, that's kind of... That's the one that sticks on my legacy. My legacy is going to have a bong with body hair in it because that was a lost Super Bowl bet, one of the very first ones I did. And um, I still get questions about that to this day. Was that real body hair? Yeah, it was. It was a lot. It was the stunt guy's body hair. And I had to smoke a whole bowl out of it, out of a brand new clean bong. And I'll remember it for the rest of my life. We gave was away that some... Man Yams, a guy that looked like Smeagol from no, The he, Hobbit? No, he didn't have enough body hair to fill half a bowl. It was a uh, B-Rock. 
Okay. You remember B-Rock. Um, he, I think was, he was before my time. Oh, he might have been before you came down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, anyway, uh, we... <laughs> We gave a guy tickets one time because he cut his dreadlock and smoked it. And I will tell you, it, the dreadlock was way more offensive smelling than just the regular hair. The regular hair singes and goes away. That dreadlock burnt, and it burnt for a while, and it smelled really bad. And, you know, but there was a lot of stuff that we did that, that it just, it might affect the studio for a couple of hours. It's not something that was, like, as bad as the time that I, I cooked the pot stickers in the sauce with the broccoli, and then I warmed them up in the kitchen, and the whole place smelled like feet for, like, two days. And then I Drew, Drew burns I was going to say, Drew <laughs> put like bacon in the microwave for 45 minutes or some yeah. damn thing. <laughs> and the whole building smelled like just burned bacon. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we've actually, we're getting close to the hour mark here. So I got to go through some of these notes or else I'm going to feel like all the prep was useless, but I knew that we wouldn't have a t- uh, trouble okay. going over You some... asked about COVID. It yeah. sucked. And yeah. You know, it was it was skeleton crew, and it it was, and then you throw the fire in with it, right? The fires were crazy, and I bet you were probably sleeping in the studio during the uh, the Great Pacific Northwest fires of last oh, yeah. year. Oh, oh yeah, almost definitely for a week and a half. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's been cool because you've always been my local guy. That's like. If some shit's going down and I really want to know what's going down, I send you a text. And that's why you don't hear from me that often is because shit doesn't go down that often. But No, this is Eugene. I, I can't watch the local news and be sure that it's going to happen because I'm just as likely to get coverage of uh, a fucking Little League baseball game as I am to get what I actually care about what's going on. So um, the fires were nuts, obviously. You had uh, coverage coming in literally by what? Like every 15 minutes they were updating things, right? I mean, was it... Or you were updating things, sorry. I always do updating things every 15 minutes. I discovered at one point that, and again, you know, um, going back to the original theme of radio stations being gutted by their, you know, demonic overlords, um, that there were no radio stations really that were covering much other than Portland. And Portland... Uh, they're covering the stage, the the fires outside of Clackamas. Right, they don't care about anything happening. No, down they here. could give a crap about what was going on in in Lynn County or Lincoln County, and um, and I'm looking at you know I'm looking at all these different fire mats and satellite pictures, and I'm getting stuff from all these different counties. I'm like, oh god, and I broke in at one point because they were evacuating Lincoln City. Yeah, I remember that. It was crazy, and I'm and I'm doing that and i get off the air and i get this phone call and it's like nobody is talking about lincoln city that is the first time i've heard about it i've got a daughter that lives in lincoln city i got i must have gotten 20 calls from people tell them more about lincoln city so at that point it was like oh this is an indication that maybe i need to expand my range rather than just lynn county douglas county and lane county and so pretty much you know, all the way up to into Marion County, I'm I'm doing stuff, and I cannot tell you how many emails I was getting from state from people in places. It's like they're listening on the stream. They couldn't even hear the radio station, but they were listening on the stream because they were even the local radio stations in Lincoln City weren't 
giving them information that they were evacuating. Because they don't have people there that are capable of doing it one way or the other. Maybe they don't know what they, was, where they need to look, or, or maybe they don't even have anybody on staff, and it's just being pumped through, you know? It was, it was insane. And I did, at one point, it's like, well, if I'm the only one, uh, okay, I accept that responsibility. I guess I'll be the only one, and I'm going to be putting in some long hours, but oh well. It's needed. And you know what? Hats off to you, because people don't understand the amount of people that get that first lick of what's going on right in their hometown on the radio. People don't turn on the TV for that. That's appointment viewing. You got to be there at six. You are there round the clock some days, 24 hours some days, even updating every 15, 20 minutes. And it's something that I hope never dies in radio because it's accessible to everyone. It's the easiest thing to get. Yeah. But, uh, well, and particularly up in the holiday farm fire, uh, sorry, you know, you, your cell tower goes down, at which they did. Your cell tower, uh, the Comcast goes down, which happens everywhere without big fires. <laughs> the Comcast goes down. All that other stuff goes away. Well, the one thing you still have, you can still pick up a radio. Right. You still got to have a radio in your car most, um, and you can get that. And all of a sudden, it becomes really important, and so you kind of, for me, I look at it as, you know, being on a news talk station, that's your Super Bowl. Right. You got to be there and I you got to perform. That's, that's that's like, okay, now it's, this is, this is a game shit. Yeah. This is not, oh, I'm, you know, well, whatever, there was a car wreck. I'm, I'm going to go home because I've been here for a while. No, this is like, okay, step up, dude. You know, this is this is where you make your bones. This is where you prove your worth. This is where, you know, you're needed now. Right. So do your job. Um, and that's kind of, that's the way I approached it. And yeah, I slept on the couch in the sales office and, you know, was eating. Oh man, there's nothing better than, than uh, Nally's chili over a sink, you know? <laughs> in the can. Yeah, in the can, cold, <laughs> over the sink, eating Nally's chili. It's like, oh man, this is the best chili I've ever had. It's, it's wonderful. But, you know, I, I look at it and well, okay, I'm on a news talk station. Better new news. Yeah, and nobody else is. And that's, that's tragic, to be honest, because, you know, there's, it's not like you're the only news talk station even in this city. And there's a there's a full other station of people that would be willing to uh, that might be willing to for some reason, um, oh, you know, you. yeah, grab another beer. I'll I'll fill up the time for a little bit. That that should be, you know, at least reasonably considering going on and doing that same type of coverage. Um, and and it's I, like I said, hats off to you because as a radio nerd, I know that that's like you said, that's your Super Bowl, and I also know that that's something that. Um, I hope never goes away is is that local personality that that can always deliver a good feeling for what goes on locally and you can't feel the holiday farm fire from a personality up in Portland Lars Larson you know he might be talking about it he might be talking about every fire in the state but he's only going to touch on the couple that aren't bothering him personally he's not going to spend a lot of time and, and you you look at those like we talked about earlier with the spoke and hub thing yeah it's cool to have a really big personality like that based out of Portland. He's only 100 miles away, whatever. He's not talking about what's going on necessarily in the streets of Eugene or Albany or Salem. He's focusing on big city centers, Portland, Vancouver, Seattle especially. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know... He really... Yeah, I'm not knocking Lars by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm, I was trying to remember, because usually when there's something of import... 
that happens down this direction, I'll be on his show. He'll call me up and or his his lackey will and say, "Can, can you be on?" And we'll start, yeah, okay. Um, I don't I don't really remember him ever calling me during that. And it was uh, I'll be admit I, I and I say that with a caveat. It was all a hideous blur, really. Um, but I, I don't remember him really doing much about it. But then again, I was so immersed for the first two weeks of just trying to get information and trying to sort out what was utter crap that was coming in that was not correct. That was the worst part of it was trying to confirm stuff. Tons of misinformation going out during oh, yeah. the fires over social media and everything Oh, my like gosh. That. It was and, unbelievable. I mean, trying to sort out what was right, what was not right. You know, and even getting conflicting information. I mean, there were a lot of people that stepped up, support, you know, were doing support things, that even amongst the specific group or groups, they didn't have their information straight. You talk to one person that was the director, and he or she would say one thing, and then you would talk to the general manager of the same group, and they're saying something else. And the assistant vice president says some other things like, okay, so do we need to get the three of you on the phone here and like come to a quorum on what the hell is going on? I, I mean, where they were collecting um, items for relief. I mean, that was, there were like five or six different groups that were involved in that. And it was, and God bless them. Oh, they're doing great work. God bless them. But they're all spreading different information. Yeah. They don't have their own PIO like the police department does or something like that, that you can just call. Well, they might have that person, but they're not necessarily cut out for that position or uh, informed enough to help, you know? By the way, the, uh, the Weiss beer. Yeah. This is good. Right. I did pretty good, didn't I? Yeah, you did really good. This has got a nice spicy something going on with it. Wine Stefaner Hefweiss beer from the old. It's I told you the the spice is this. That's the sweatiness. It's the that's, oldest brewery in the world, right there. That's it's got a nice spicy thing going that I like. It's it's German sweat. Oh, well, <laughs> more for German sweat. I hope so, it's barmaid sweat. Uh, it is just it's because the, I'd hate to think it's brewmeister. <laughs> droppings of some sort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spread them over the vat. Yeah. Oh, that's way too real, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes it tasty. So, um, you know, moving moving forward into management, obviously, we could you and I could talk about forest management uh for years on this show. My my father's a former forester. Um, you know, we lived through as as mill employee family uh, through the Clinton administration and and all of the different <laughs> uh, logging regulations. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, it, it, you can say what you want about, you know, Clinton and the whole thing. One of the things I feel like is forgotten a lot is the effect on the timber industry that uh, that that administration had. And, you know, you could like Bill Clinton or hate him for the rest of his policy. Some of the reasons we had those fires last year is because of policy that was put in place when Clinton was president. And it- I'm telling you, when OSU and their foresters... So, for the first time ever, we did a Saturday morning wake-up call show. And it was the Saturday of that first week of fires. So, the, the Labor Day, you know, Labor Day fires started on Monday. That Saturday, I mean, stuff was still going on and getting evacuated and... 
Rob, the guy I do the show with, I just, I, after the show on Friday, because I'm still, you know, doing news updates like every 15 minutes, I just walked in and said, okay, I'm doing a Saturday show. You're either in or you're not. Um, but I'm going to do it. And he's like, I'm here. Let's do it. So I got three of the top foresters and forest uh, science guys and, and the like from OSU. I called up OSU and was like, I, I need your three top guys on this. Um, when you have those folks saying that, yeah, a big part of this is forest mismanagement, you know you got a problem because there's a lot. And I asked the guy point blank, one of them, I can't remember his name. I asked him point blank. I said, how much of this was caused by just politics? And you could have put a stopwatch on the pause between me asking that question and the time that he finally answered. Well, there were three of them. And all of them, it was, I knew what was going through their heads. I'm not going to answer that. I really don't want to answer that. I don't think I'll answer that. Maybe this guy will answer that. Maybe the other guy will answer that. And finally, one of them, after about 15 seconds, is like a lot of it. Yeah, he doesn't want to say 100% because his boss uh, is is politics. Is the state. Yeah, exactly. So he can't say what he really but, wants to say. But, but it's, it, he you, was very honest and said, you know, this problem is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here. Sure. That the problem is politically caused and it's going to require a political answer because the people that actually know the forests and what needs to happen in the forests are not the ones that make the decisions about the forests. This is years ago, and it was a fire. I can't remember the name of it. It was in Douglas County. Um, and I went out and spent some time at fire camp and, you know, watched the operations. And I'm talking to this guy from the Forest Service who had been at the Biscuit Creek, uh, the, the Biscuit Fire down in Southern Oregon, which at that time was... The fire. The fire. It the was biggest that one. one and the canal fire were two of the really, really big acreage ones that burn up in the northeast. Right. Yep. And I knew that after, you know, all the big fires that we had, that this was going to be the case because of the biscuit fire. And he goes, the biscuit fire, and this guy was worked the biscuit fire. He's one of the, the fire managers on it. And he goes, it was the nightmare situation for us for the forest service. He goes, this was the nightmare situation that we were always afraid was going to happen because of the way that the forest policies have been created. We thought that it would be this and that would happen. And he goes, and it was our nightmare scenario. And talking about that, he said something that was really interesting. He said, the other thing is, is that um, he goes, none of the downed, burned, still usable timber was ever harvested from that because the environmental groups wouldn't allow it. He said the science that they're using made absolutely no sense. They're talking about how, oh, no, you know, you have to leave that there because it's good for the environment. And he said it's not. All of those burned trees, okay, that's charcoal. And when it rains, all of that charcoal, all of that ash, where does it go? 
it goes downhill. What's at the bottom of the hill? Well, in the case of the Holiday Farm Fire, the Mackenzie River. Fish are not built to breathe ash. Right. And all of that carbon, all of that charcoal, all of that debris from those burned trees, if you leave them there to just sit and rot, all of that is going into the Mackenzie. And all these people that scream about, oh, it's going to be bad for the fish if you take these trees out. Actually, this is going to be worse. All of those native-run trout that everybody's so worried about, well, this will kill them. Yeah, they're done for. Have a nice day. Yep. Uh, but no, just because, oh my God, it's a tree and somebody's going to make money off of it. Therefore, that's bad. Therefore, we must stop it. They're already doing it. It's And it's such stupid logic. It, it's not logic. I hate to say that. It doesn't It doesn't have a, a basis in logic, that thought. No, it's a and, dogma. Yes. At this point, it's religious dogma. You're not going to save the world by not picking up that tree. And the other thing that I know, you know, from not only my, my dad, but a bunch of people that I know that work for the Forest Service, Forest Service people back in the 70s when my dad worked there, 70s and 80s, uh, they marked timber sales. They went out in the woods and they marked tree by tree and they marked boundaries and they did assessments. They looked at the land. They decided what was going to be sold off for timber, what was going to be kept for sanctuary, whatever you want to say. That's what the Forest Service was tasked with. And right now, the Forest Service is tasked with what? Fighting fire. Because they do not do any of that stuff that they used to do because they aren't able to anymore because of politics. And look, it doesn't matter what side of the coin you fall on. Nobody wants to see the goddamn forest burn down. Liberal, Democrat, woke, MAGA hat. It doesn't matter where you're at. Everybody wants to recreate there. And it really sucks that those politics that we just ran through are actually what's making the decisions that are causing those places to burn down. And we got to get away from that. Well... I mean, when you can't even go in and clear underbrush. And the people that make the most, this, I, I just, it's like, okay, wait a second. Have you ever been to a freaking forest? You have all these, you know, I, I mean, it, this is going to sound like a stereotype. And, and if it offends you, I don't care. This is the man room. Sometimes you're going to get offended. Um, th- There are a bunch of, you know, environmental dogmatists from Portland that essentially have been to maybe a national forest campground once, they don't know what it's like to go into the woods. Many of them have never been to them. They'll bitch and piss and moan about something that happens down in Douglas County or Jackson County, having never even been there. Might never even have been to an adjacent county. And, and and that's that's a real and, burner for people that live and, in those places. And then you and then you have situations and I have to bring this up and this kind of has to do with forest policy. So originally the the uh the poster child for for don't chop down a tree was the spotted owl. Oh yeah. And they would spike trees, and they would build mm-hmm. forts and trees, and they would hang from trees. Oh, they would yeah. do everything they could. They would oh, lay down in they're... front of log trucks. They're going to save that spotted owl. <laughs> now, here's what I, I really I find interesting. Now, there is a program because there's the spotted owl, and then you have the barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D. Well, the barred owl, being a survivor... 
is taking over the spotted owl territory because this barred owl is not, you know, is a survivor. Right. Think gray wolf, timber wolf. And so the deal is because the barred owl is actually a survivor, what's happening now is fish and wildlife is going in and killing and wiping out the barred owls because they're better survivors than the spotted owls. So you're playing God. Right. You're literally so let's, playing let's God. let's get rid of the, you know, apex survivor owl in favor of apparently the pussy owl. Let's, let's go kill all the barred owls because, well, they're survivors and the, the spotted owl here just, you know, is too delicate. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you look at that and go, how does that make any sense? Yeah. No, it's it's the same people, Bill, that, that made the the decision to reintroduce the gray wolf into, into oh Oregon. And I know that you and I, once again, we could spend hours on that, but this is the problem that I've been trying to talk about since I came to Eugene in 2003, is that this state, and, and I really do believe this when I say this, even though over the last... I don't know, two, three, four years. I thought that this state has been run into the ground politically and and really just mismanaged. Not because, you know, we don't have nice cities. Not because there's, I mean, look, the homeless problem we could get to on a completely other podcast and talk about the whole thing there. But this state is run from the city and like 75% of it is big country. There's, there's this vein that runs through the kind of central eastern part of the state that is I-5, and that's where all these population centers sit. And then there's the Cascade Mountains to the west, and then over the Cascade Mountains, you've got nothing but Colorado transplants and bend and yeah. wide the fuck open country. And you see, yeah, there's a lot of towns out there, and they're all... 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people. But until you've actually been in one of those places and seen the way that they live life and see the things that they need to get on with their day, you don't really understand what it is that your decisions uh, affect on the other side of the mountains. And I I use this uh, all the time. I don't think I've ever talked about it on this podcast before. There's a little five-minute documentary out there that I'll share that was made it was only just a couple years after the reintroduction of the gray wolf in Oregon, and it was a OR7's pack, I believe, before it had tra- before it had traveled all the way down south. It was up in the northeast, and they were finding dead cattle all over the place. And what this documentary follows is one of the state scientists that comes out with the ODF and W, ah. and they look at the dead cow corpse, and they see... They document bite marks on the bone on the front quarters. They document bite marks on the bone on the hind quarters. They document all sorts of ripping and tearing at the flesh. And then they stand up and they look at the farmer and they go, Natural death. We can't guarantee that this was killed by a wolf, so we're not going to reimburse you at all. And you look at that cow right there. It's 1400 bucks, okay? But that cow is actually, uh, it could feasibly be responsible for another 10 that look exactly like it. So extrapolate, we're talking about 140 grand down the line. And then, you know, we get to 280 grand and it just keeps compiling. And essentially, if you can't provide a picture of the wolf killing the cow, see, that's the, this is what drives me crazy about spin and media and politics. Um, they make it sound like, oh, well, yes, if 
uh, there is predation, then the wolves can be killed. And everybody just takes that as fact. Oh, okay, well, if this guy's cows get killed by wolves, a pack of wolves or a wolf, well, they'll take care of it. And they don't go beyond that. You go beyond that and you begin to realize that you damn near not only have to have uh, photographs of the wolves killing the thing, you damn near have to have wolf DNA and fingerprints or paw prints, as right. the case may be, right? Before they will do anything about it, and one of and the they things... wonder why it is, and they go, "Oh well, these farmers, all they want to do is kill wolves." Well, no, all they want to do is live their lives, make their living, and not have to deal with this thing that was introduced by the government that comes in periodically and wipes out, you know, their livelihood right, for 10, the year. 10, 15 grand worth of inventory. I mean, think about it like that. Think about you sell cars and then every yeah, then so somebody on, comes in and just steals half of them yeah, or just takes a bat, doesn't even steal them, just takes a bat and fucks it up so bad that you can't do anything with it. And really it's going to cost you now to either remove it or leave it there as bait for the next guy with a bat. And that's that. neither one of those are good ideas. And I've always thought this to be one of the most hilarious parts about it. One of the preventative measures uh, that the state of Oregon has for the motherfucking gray wolf, which is a wolf that'll stand, you know, I mean, the goddamn things could be four feet tall at the head. Yeah, they're not they're small. They're not small. 150-pound dog, 180-pound dog. By the way, they weren't even no, native they're not to this native. area. No, that's a timber wolf. And if you don't believe it, look it up, because I've had many arguments with many Eugenians that don't want to believe that I know what I'm talking about. But trust me, I do. But the, they're the cute. First... They're dogs. They're puppies. Now, Bill, the very, first, uh, the very first measure that they will give you, excuse me, that they will allow you to take with wolves is they... they tell you to string wire at 18 inches off the ground and not electric wire by the way that's not allowed and what you do is you hang a piece of red ribbon every six feet uh on this wire that's 18 inches off the ground in the hopes that the goddamn horror movie werewolf won't just step over it calmly and kill all of your animals i know i'm sounding preachy right now but i don't really care I, i'm kind of passionate about this because i've seen how much it fucks with people and it speaks to the bigger picture in this state Am I, a, am I a MAGA hat wearing diehard Republican? No, I am not. But what I understand is that not all the problems in this state reside in Portland and on the I-5 corridor. And that's one of the... What? <laughs> what? That's what? one of the things that has gotten to me since I moved hell? here. And I, do I think that they should be forgotten just because they live in a sparsely populated uh, part of the state? No. Everybody deserves their voice. Well, they should vote it. They can't. They've got 2,000 people down there. Nobody fucking listens to them. Nobody's been closer than three counties away. You know, I mean, it's... Yeah, it, the Democrats learned a long time ago. And, I mean, not sound trying to be partisan here, um, because I'm politically an atheist. That's how I like to look at it, too. You could paint me with a gray brush and be way more accurate than red or blue. And the Democrats learned that if you win Portland, and you don't aim... And when I say win... You, you get 51% of the vote of Portland. You got the state. Yep. You got it. And it's been like that for a and, long time. And so, you know, you think that, um, and, and imagine what the frustration that if you're an urban dweller, you know, imagine the frustration of somebody that 
they've been raised and that's what they do their entire lives. They they've been doing they've been doing cattle. They're grass seed farmers, they're mint farmers, they're they're working in ag, they're out in the woods. Um God, I th- I th- I'm like the only male member of my family that I can think of that didn't work in the timber industry in one form or another, whether it be in the woods, working in a mill, you know. And how uh, many people do you know now that work in a mill or in the timber industry? Not from just radio, but like your personal life. Very few. And that was a generational job. That was, yeah. you You went, your dad was a logger, you were a logger. Maybe you and were it, pulling it, green chain or whatever. it wasn't, well, other than my uncle on my mom's side it it wasn't a career it's what you did you know when you were 16 17 years old you did that um you know you maybe went into the military or you went to school in the summers you worked in the woods what my brother did he went up to alaska and worked in the woods uh you work in the woods you you come back in the winter you go to school you go back you work in the woods pulling, you know, setting chokers or pulling green chain at a mill or whatever. And, it, you know, but there were some people that that was their lifetime job. And I think of my uncle on my mom's side. That was his, he did that for, you know, well, it's what killed him. Um, and it's like these, there is this, they don't even, you get people that are urban dwellers that not only don't get a rural frame of mind and way of life, they just don't give a shit. They believe, oh, well, I don't like that. Therefore, it's not valid. And therefore, we must stop it. Well, okay, so what about all those jobs that are lost? Oh, well, they can come up with a different career or we'll come up with other their other business. Okay, so... It's all fine and good that you can sit there and go, oh, well, you know, well, like Nike or Google or Amazon puts in a center or, you know, uh, Intel. I'm sorry. Intel and Nike are not going to develop satellite offices in Roseburg. Right. Or anywhere else other than Beaverton, for that matter. That's yeah. as far out of Portland as they're getting. You know, you're not going to get Silicon Valley to move to Burns. <laughs> Burns, nice place. I like Burns. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice place, right it, in the middle. It's yeah. just right smack in the middle right. of the state. And then you got 395 that goes up to John Day, and that drive on 395 is awesome. Yes, John Day is a beautiful part of the state, too. If you haven't been to Central Oregon, Most and I people, don't mean Bend, you're missing out. I mean, Bend is great. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of friends in Bend, but Bend is the new Denver. Like if they're, if they're moving from California and they're not going to Portland or Eugene, they're going to Bend right now. Man, I, at one point I had really been, I'd been through Bend, just the highway through it, but I hadn't really, really been to Bend. Oh, I don't know for God, since I was like 18, 19 years old, this was a couple of years ago on my motorcycle and um, I decided, hey, I'm going to go over to Bend, and I'm going to go hang out over in Central and Eastern Oregon. I didn't, I, I mean, the, I looked at Bend, and it's like, what is this place? I don't remember this place. This is not Bend. It's exploded. Oh, it, and it's huge. And I, and I'm, if you're 
somebody in Bend. I'm not knocking Bend. There's, I mean, that downtown area is pretty cool. It's, there were some yeah. good, good eats and good bars. You you will catch me in downtown Bend a thousand times before you catch me in downtown Portland right now. Oh yeah, and I that's, mean, that Portland should be worried about that. I mean, hello, thumbs up, going out to Bend. Um, but there is so much more. I mean, uh, you know, over in. I mean, you grew up, what, in Enterprise, right? Yeah, way the fucking dog okay, out there. Okay, well, you're over by Joseph. Yeah, six miles away. What, and Joseph is the funkiest town. I think it's one of the, actually one of the more interesting towns in Oregon because you're over where you don't expect Joseph to be. No, it's actually, and I'm not, I don't mess around when I say this, that Highway 82 ends six miles past Joseph. Mm-hmm. You go through Enterprise, you go six miles to Joseph, you go six further miles up to the to the head of the lake. Yep. Head of Wallowa Lake, and you run into a mountain range, and the, the road just fucking stops. There's not even a turnaround. There's a parking lot. Yeah. It just stops. And Joseph is... A, I, I Like, where did this bohemian town come from yeah because it is joseph is an art center so it's it's got a little bit of the yuppie feel to it because bronze was really big over there they did a lot of bronze casting they do a lot of art and painting and stuff like that um and joseph was always kind of the artistic kind of artsy fartsy place where enterprise was considered the spot that was kind of uh you know more farmy but what i would say about joseph is it doesn't come across as pretentious yeah we just got to know a few people from there Oh, I, oh, oh okay. That's where you get into the pretension. Not well. You know, here's the deal: when when you live in that part of the in that part of the uh, the state, you the the thing that stands out are transplants. If somebody comes yeah. in to Joseph and tries to change things and make it not Joseph or not make it make it not Willow County, it doesn't matter what walk of life or whether you're on the right side of the coin, the left side of the coin. Uh, you know, you, you, your drug of choice is, is weed or Copenhagen. Those people get squeezed out like a zit, and it, it's really nice to see. It's one of the reasons I love going back there is because the people that don't make it out of that county as far as, you know, they go to high school and they leave, I, I don't even like to consider it making it out. They stayed because that's where they should be, Well, and, and, and that's like kind of where, like, where it's at. For me, it was and is, like I said, it's kind of bohemian, but it's a down-home, non-pretentious bohemian. Yeah. It's I just, really friendly. You're I, not going to find friendlier I, people. I loved that place. I, I mean, I did find it weird that you have essentially deer walking around in downtown and through people's yards and everything else. I, I was like, I mean, and if you're riding a motorcycle. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. That's not something you want to see. So you're you're kind of like. You know, at that point, your butt is just like at about a number eight pucker. And he's like, oh, oh, my God, that's an actual buck walking around in this downtown area. That's why there's a sign at the beginning of Joseph's that says this little town is heaven to us. Don't drive like hell through it. There's deer in the streets. And that's You'll true. hit a fucking deer <laughs> or a cougar. You might hit I, a cougar. I, it's... I, I think it's a cool town. It's awesome, man. And, and what's amazing to me is that, yeah, I've mentioned that. It's like, oh, man, have you ever been to Joseph? Where? Named after the great Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is uh, uh, Little Chief Joseph, which is his son, is buried right there outside of town just before you come over the road to the foot of the lake. 
uh, which is Wallowa Lake, which was formed by a glacier that slid off of Mount Joseph and melted into a really big, really cold puddle. Uh, there's some places where they still yeah. haven't actually haven't mapped the bottom yet of Wallowa Lake. Um, it's, I grew up on it. I used to drive the parasail boat out there. Best summer job you could ever ask for. Oh, man. Board shorts, bet. no shirt, towing around bikinis in a, in a fucking parasail and people tipping you 50 bucks for it. Like, it, it's a it's a little touristy trap area, but it's well enough kept secret that not a lot of people go there. It's way out of the way. It used to take seven and a half hours to get there. They changed the speed limit on Interstate 84 along the Columbia Gorge to 70. Now it takes like six hours to get there because I've never seen a cop. They, what they did is they're like, we're going to yeah. put it up to 70, and you guys are only going to go out there as state cops when there's a pileup. Just stay away from it. It's the Autobahn. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, I-84, you rarely, once you get past, uh, what is it, Wood Village and uh, Cascade Locks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you're really not, you don't expect to see much out there. Um, I, I took a different route to get there. I mean, I went through the Blue Mountain Highway and... Oh, Jesus, um, you punished yourself on that oh, bike. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, going through, um, uh, you got Polina City, and I can't remember that I always forget the name of this it is the geographic center of the state and there's a little trading post a gas station and a post office it's there. wagon tire no no it's not the name of it okay because wagon tires like that and it's for sale still it's a little town with just, just okay. got a post office anyway, anyway. I, I i went up I, I totally went the back way but <laughs> you know i it amazes me how many people live on the western side of the cascades that have never been on the eastern side and done any exploration over there. You know, you're talking about the northeastern corner of the state. Then you got the southeastern corner of the state with Heart Mountain and... Sand dunes. Uh, the Oh, yeah, the sand dunes and uh, the Dunder and Blutzen River. Yep. And... Uh, you know, Silver it's Lake and big country. You would not imagine how big it is out there. It's a vast expanse of nothing, and then you'll come to a town, right? And like Paisley or Plush. I like Paisley because you got the Shiawakan River that runs through there, and it runs through this little kind of valley in between these foothills. And you're out in the middle of just you look at it and go, "Oh, this is desert." And then this little river that runs through these these foothills. It's like this long ribbony oasis that goes all the way down from uh, there to Lakeview on that Forest Service road. It's like, whatever, 50 miles. And it's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yep. And how many people did you pass on the way out there? Two, three? You know if that. Yeah. And, and it was the same way. I mean, you know, you get into Enterprise and, and Joseph, you have the Enterpriseans and the Josephians. But other than that, you know, I'm this guy out there in a motorcycle. And it's like that that highway is deserted. Yep. Pretty much getting there. And, you know, same way Anthony Lakes and, and LeGrand and out that area. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally, I mean, for folks that want to get the hell away from this side of the Cascades, if you've never been up to particularly Wallawa County. Oh, you got to say it right. I'm not going to let you say it like that in here. Wallawa. What did I say? Wallawa. Okay. Wallawa. There you go. Wallawa. <laughs> Get that twang in there, All right. Wallawa, and you know, take the, uh, the Blue Mountain Highway, and there's this neat triangle, the uh, Blue Mountain Highway and the Elkhorn Highway, and it creates this triangle that's about 120 miles 
it is the coolest drive. And on the Blue Mountain Highway, you, there's a point there that is the highest point that you can drive by a vehicle in Oregon. That's awesome. Very cool. And it's you guys that's what people don't understand. It's the mountains over there. You're literally there's in the There's a reason mountains. why and by the way there's a reason why they call them the Blue Alps, uh, the Blue Mountains and the Oregon Alps. Yep. And there's I mean the one of the the um basically when you drive up to Wallowa Lake you're going to drive around uh, one side of the lake and that side that you're looking up to uh, on your left hand side as you're moving um, south towards the head of the lake is the moraine is what they call that. That's all the dirt that was pushed up from the glacier and that's what, it, what you see there. It's not really a mountain. Then you've got uh, Mount Howard and Mount Joseph and right in the middle you have a very, very sharp uh, looking mountain that actually they call Matterhorn. Mm-hmm. And it's because if you go up there and you looks look up like at the it. bottom of it, it fucking looks like Matterhorn in Germany or wherever that's at. Disneyland. Disneyland. Isn't yeah. it mod- Isn't it modeled after a real place? What? Matterhorn. Because I'm pretty sure at they Disneyland? named... Disneyland? No, yeah, at Disneyland. Oh, I thought you were talking about the one in Switzerland. It was that's like, well, yeah, that is, that's, that's, that's patterned after yes. Disneyland. Disneyland was first, then the mountain in Switzerland came second. I thought everybody knew that. <laughs> I thought everyone knew that. Oh, it man. was like the Swiss. I mean, the Swiss are so resourceful. <laughs> they go, oh, yeah. They, well, have, they have the, oh, yeah. They have the amusement park. We make that bigger here. It's yeah. the socialism over there. It's what yeah, really well, does it. it. It literally makes them yeah, move mountains. Yeah. I mean, it's the same same way with, with Mount Everest. I mean, you know, people always just thought, oh, that's naturally formed. No, hell no. The Himalayans built that. <laughs> We went completely off the rails, and it's exactly why I wanted to have Bill on the podcast. This is the types of conversations that I used to get to have, not only when we worked together, uh, but when I was doing ad work for uh, numerous different cannabis companies, uh, I would always make sure and take an extra half an hour off just so I could do the voice work, come in and hang out in your studio. And you haven't done that for a long time, you prick. Yeah, well, they. I mean, look... <laughs> They wouldn't even let me in there because of COVID over the last year. And I also, I don't have a a job anymore. So this is my job. You don't have a job anymore? Not right now. No. Uh, Uh, Again, COVID? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, COVID. COVID has done so much for us. COVID has changed society forever. Look, it did. We thought we were pussies before. Uh, that's true. Now and we it's thought we were colors. pussies. That society was pussies before. We are now officially just oozing in pussification. We are crystallized <laughs> in that's pussification. Gonna, that's going to be a shirt right there. Crystallized in pussification. pussification. The Man Room Podcast. Get your <laughs> get your t shirt. I really want to see the graphics for that too. By the way. <laughs> I really do. Oh, man. Thank gonna... you for inviting me in to do this. Dude, thank I know, you so I'm much. I'm imagining everybody's listening is like, God, this is random shit. Yeah. Who are these people? But I love it. And that's why the, the podcast was made because this is that we would come up here if you were just coming over to hang out, we'd have the same conversation. And that's what I want out of this podcast is uh, just hanging out in the man room, having a drink having a conversation, and I love it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Oh, yeah, thanks for the beer. Dude, no problem. That's the least I can do. Anytime you you bait me with beer, it's like, yeah, I'll come talk. What do you think about that Axis Deer Summer Sausage? Oh, that stuff is good. Isn't it good? That's the last I have. I've got more of it coming from Maui in October. You you may have noticed that it's not on this (laughs) tray anymore. Good, man. I mean, when, when, when there's still cheese left on it, and there's no, no meat. meat. You know, the, yeah, you know the meat was good because <laughs> generally the first thing I go for is the cheese that smells like dirty underwear. Okay. You get me dirty underwear cheese like, oh, <laughs> yes. God, it stinks. It's delicious. 
that's what I'm into. That's the Man Room Podcast. I ask everybody at the end, how was the experience? It was great. The beer was good. I really liked the uh, the sweaty German guy beer. <laughs> what was the, the 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 sweat dripping off into the vats? Yeah, that's, the half Weiss uh, beer. That stuff is. The other was really good too. But this the sweaty the sweaty brewmeister stuff is awesome. Well, we're gonna from keep... the world's oldest sweaty brewery. <laughs> we're, we're always gonna keep the beer flowing here in the man room. Once again, you can check us out everywhere you get podcasts. There's no reason to go through that again. If you have a response to anything we talked about, I would love to hear from you. The man room podcast at gmail.com. As far as Bill, you can listen to him every morning, eleven twenty KPNW from six to nine AM with yeah, ninety three point seven FM if you're in the Eugene area. There you go. Ninety three point seven FM with his co host Rob Holloway. Uh, they put on a great show and they will keep you in touch with what's going on locally without making you feel like you have to wave one political flag or another i've always thought that you guys did a great job at that so thank you thank you for that coverage thank you for the time yep anything else no thanks for having me in sometime have a group discussion in here i'd like to come in for a group discussion where we all just sit around and bitch and piss oh i love it that's gonna happen on the man room podcast and you're gonna get to look forward to it thanks for listening Thanks for listening. And and transmission.